Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. It's not often that one meets and gets to know a trailblazer, but that sure as hell is about to change. Case in point, Gloria Allen, my guest today. Hers is one powerful, uplifting, and inspirational story. Gloria is a black transgender woman who grew up in the 50s and 60s on Chicago's South Side and transitioned from George to Gloria after high school, but before the Stonewall Uprising. Even with the support of the women in her family, you can imagine that she's had her share of mountains to climb, obstacles to overcome. But through it all, this incredible role model has never lost her positivity, joie de vivre, selfless commitment to guide, foster, support other transgender youth. While in her 60s, Gloria started a charm school for homeless trans youth, hence Mama. And Mama Gloria is the title of the intimate, inspiring, powerful documentary that chronicles her life from childhood to her golden years. Oh, and by the way, before Mama Gloria, her story was shared on stage in the award-winning play Charm. I am more than excited to have a conversation with this charismatic, classy woman. Gloria, welcome and thanks so much for calling in and joining me remotely today. And thank you so much for inviting me to this occasion, special occasion. I'm so happy to be a part of this. So I'm ready. In the spirit of full disclosure, I just want to say at the outset that I had the pleasure of interviewing Lucina Fisher, who happens to be the filmmaker behind Mama Gloria. So, Gloria, let's get started. When did you know that you were different? Uh, I knew I was different at the age of really uh, three and four years old because um, being in a household where there were so many people that I had to um, become adjusted to, like my grandparents and my aunts and uncles, and everybody knew I was different, too, because they, you know, they walked around on eggshells with me, thinking that um, this is just a phase, you know, Georgia overcome this. And uh, that was not true. You know, I was meant to be a girl, but, um, you know, I guess uh, the maker didn't plan it that way. (laughs) But uh, here I am, you know, and I'm so happy to be who I am. And my mother and grandmother and aunts, they were all supportive of me and they watched over me but when it came to the men in the house the men were sort of distant and sort of mean to me you know but Mm -hmm. uh, my mother she was the one who wore the pants in the house and she would tell the men my brothers my uncles and everything 
that I was different and uh, that she would be watching over me to make sure nothing went wrong in my younger life. And I'm so proud of that because uh, my mother, my grandmother, and my great aunt, they really protected me. And, uh, you know, I'm so thankful and grateful to God for that. That's not very common, is it, Gloria, in in Black households? I've interviewed uh, no. a couple of Black transgender women, and their stories about growing up and acceptance just really take your breath away. Yes. Uh, in uh, the Black community, if it was a gay boy or girl, they were ostracized, uh, beaten up, uh, raped by family members, and uh, it was, you know, really horrible. And I didn't have to go through that because I had a watchful mother and grandmother, and I thank God today for them because they went through a lot with me as a young kid. But uh, when it came to other people, outsiders, outsiders, they weren't uh, considerate or kind to me. And my mother and grandmother fought with them, too, you know, to protect me. So um, it's some horrible things out there. And I have experienced those bad things myself, but with outsiders, not my um, family members. Well, I think it's important to share a couple of details. Your mother, for example, was referred to often as the Black Marilyn Monroe, and she was a centerfold for Jet Magazine. And so she taught you about makeup. And was it your grandmother that taught you about making clothes and sewing while your aunt, your great aunt, who was a former house slave, taught you about etiquette? I mean, wow, what role models, no? Yes, I did. Amazing women. And uh, I looked at these women. They were role models for me. And I wanted to be like them. My mother was just a beautiful black woman and she modeled um and um she was had such a fantastic figure and that's why they labeled her the black Marilyn Monroe. And I used to sit back and laugh because I, I said, Here I am with this fabulous mother, (laughs) I would look at her and I said, I want to be just like her. And I emulated, you know, myself toward that lifestyle like her. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. my grandmother, oh, my grandmother was just um, uh, the cream of the crop. My grandmother was really beautiful and smart and she was such a wise lady and uh, being uh, with her because I devoted my time between all these women I would go and spend the nights or spend the weeks or months with my family members and um 
I did this because it was so many men in the house, too, that uh, didn't understand me at all, and they they didn't try to. So I had these fantastic women, my mother, my grandmother, and my great aunt, and uh, I learned so much from them. And uh, my mother would tell me about my great aunt, Aunt Fanny. Aunt Fanny was such a uh, remarkable woman. She was back in the slave days. She did the washing and cooking in the house. And uh, she learned how to read. They taught her how to read. And she became so great at it. She started teaching other people that didn't have a chance to do this. And my uh, great aunt would go to the barn and have a little group of people sitting there and they would read and the uh, thing to read was the Bible. They would read the Bible and get a lot of knowledge from that. And uh, my great aunt became a school teacher after all of this. And uh, a generation of um, Howard University graduates, my cousins, my uh, grandmother sent all her children off to college and the uh, people that she worked with, they helped her. They let her children come into their homes and they turned out to be some fantastic women. So you have this very strong foundation, obviously, Gloria. However, as you inferred, once you left this, in a sense, the safety of your house, despite what might have gone on in terms of with the males in your house, being out in the world was not an easy task, was it? No, it wasn't. I got out into the world because I got to a certain part of life. My mother told me, she said, well, if you feel that you've grown and you can't follow my rules, then you get out and fend for yourself. And I tried to. And uh, it was so hard because uh, back then, people just didn't understand trans women or gay people. We were beaten up, raped. Oh, it was just an awful part of my life being out there trying to survive. And uh, life wasn't kind to me. And it was so many evil people out there, or how would I put it, illiterate people that didn't understand and they weren't trying to understand my life lifestyle. And um, I became afraid out there in the um, public, being on my own, going to work, uh, trying to hold a job, uh, people laughing at me, pointing fingers at me, and um, being um, raped you know, by 
different people. So you mean you were raped became, more than you were raped more than once? You were sexually assaulted uh, numerous times. Uh, numerous times. Oh, geez. And uh, I was afraid to talk about it, you know. And my mother was uh, and grandmother were the main source to help me out when the first rape occurred. How old were you uh, when that happened, Gloria? When, when uh, you... I had to be about uh, five or six years wait a minute, old. Wait a minute, and... wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your first sexual assault came when you were five or six years old? Yes, and it was the babysitter. My mother and father, they had to work. Oh, my God. And so when your own home, you were sexually assaulted? Yes, yes. Uh, the babysitter's son, he was 17, and I was five or either six. And did you keep that as a secret? Did you tell your mom what happened? I kept it as a secret until I got to the age of 13. And uh, it was something that I carried this heavy burden on my shoulders and I was ashamed of myself and I really didn't want to live, you know, because how could a grown man, you know, molest a child? And I didn't know what was going on. So I didn't know how to talk about it or tell anyone. Right. Until later on in the year, then right. I talked, I came out and my mother asked me, she said, why didn't you come to me? And I told her that um, you wouldn't have believed it. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, you should have came to me and we could have had this guy arrested or put in jail for violating you, and um, I didn't. And so this babysitter's son, every day I had to be around with him. Oh, my God. Because I had another brother, which was a year younger than me. He would let my brother go out to play, but me, no, I couldn't go outside. I had to be with him and uh, the things that he did to me I I didn't know what was going on and so I I was afraid to talk about it and after that I became a different person I had a different attitude a different outlook on life because I'm thinking that all men were like this and I was wrong, but he was the one that, you know, I couldn't remember it just like it was yesterday. So while you were still going to school as like in junior high or high school, you were treated the way you were because people thought you were way too feminine because at that point you hadn't transitioned to female, correct? Right. I always had girly ways because, you know, I was taught how to sit and, you know, be 
the girl that I was supposed to be, but uh, the outsiders wouldn't accept that from me, you know, because I was a joke, you know, I was a, a big joke to them. But as I got a little older and they, the guys start looking at me, not in a manly way, but in a feminine way. And in high school, I had a lot of girlfriends that I just love today because I'm in touch with them. And um, the guys that were bothering me now, they look at me in a different way and they respect me. But then they didn't, you know, back then. Did you go to college when you graduated high school or was it going to get a job? I went to college because my uncle, God rest his soul, my uncle had the money and he wanted me to go and get a degree and really become a fabulous person. But the streets took over my life, but I did. You go to college for one year, and I went to uh, Fingers Junior College, which was a long ways from my house, so I had to travel, public transportation. And uh, I, for uh, a boy, my, my body was unbelievable because I got all my assets from my mother, and I'm saying to myself, why am I built like this, and skin is smooth as butter, you know, so um, it was strange, you know, being outside, and um, I met my first lover, and um, he was a great guy, but... um, I stayed with him a year, and I couldn't put up with that anymore because he was such a cheater, and uh, I didn't want to be with a man that would cheat on me, but he did. Were you living at home at that time? Yes, I was living at home with my parents, and uh, I was spending nights, weekends with this guy, but I was lying to my parents Uh, that I was mm -hmm. going to my grandmother's house. And they found out that I wasn't going to my grandmother's. So they had a big meeting with me, which, you know, I didn't want to hear nothing they had to say because I'm in love with this man. You know, the man was... 30, he was 32, and uh, he, I spent a year with him, but um, I found out he was cheating, so I couldn't stay there, you know, because I didn't want to share him with anybody, and I didn't want to share myself with him while he's sleeping with other people, and my mother always told me to be 
careful and healthy. You know, take care of yourself and be clean about it. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. my mother, she met Maurice was his name. She met him. And um, my mother liked him because this man, he looked like Johnny Mathis. This man was just <laughs> gorgeous. And my mother said, oh, he's so good looking. And he was so nice to my mother and father because, you know, having so many kids, my mother and father couldn't afford a lot of things. But Maurice stepped in and stepped up. My mother, I remember, wanted a set of uh, twin bunk beds for the kids. And I told Maurice about it. And Maurice talked with my mother because I believe he had a crush on my mother, you know. <laughs> but um, that didn't go anywhere because my mother don't play like that. <laughs> well, anyway, he bought her two sets of bunk beds. And uh, I felt so in love with him then. You know, here you are, a man taking responsibility and helping my family. He was a good man and a smart man, but a cheater. So Mm, mm. I didn't stay with him too long. And then when I broke up with him, my mother, she was sort of upset. She was saying, well, he was a good guy and everything. And I didn't want to tell all my secrets to her. Right. But uh, I never did tell her that he was a cheater. And uh, I left him and really was out there by myself over in Hyde Park. I lived in Hyde Park. And uh, during that time, it was so many down low men and undercover guys there in Hyde Park. Right, right, And uh, I had my own apartment and I got sort of, Carried away, you know, being out there by myself and very sexually doing, active. In other words, yeah, too, too much, too much. I was sexually active, and um, it scared me. It really did because being that way, and uh, sometimes being forced that way with these guys, you know, because just like I said, I was a sexually molested back then uh, because I'm young and stupid and my parents didn't talk to me about sex you know like a father would come to his son and tell him this and that I didn't have that type of relationship with my dad because my dad wanted a boy he didn't want want to mix it up child like me because I was mixed up. I didn't know what was what or who I was. I knew I wanted to be a girl and I stayed on that road to be in that way. But as far as uh, guys, boys, I didn't play with guys. I didn't play with boys because I knew some of the things they wanted to do and I'm 
wasn't going to be a part of it. But but Gloria, as you got older and then you had to, quote, fend for yourself as in get a job. And in yeah. the film, there were some fits and starts. And then eventually you got a nursing degree. Yes, I did. I've always wanted to be a nurse. And it tickled me so bad, you know, with how you sit down with your parents as a little kid. And your parents ask you, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I knew I wanted to be a nurse. And here, my siblings, my brothers sitting around me, they fell out laughing because they thought being a nurse was just for women. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I went on to uh, school. I went to um, Cook County Medical School for nursing. And uh, I really enjoyed this because I've always been a person to help other people and to care about other people. And so after doing two years in nursing, I got my degree, and uh, I just knew I was going to be rich and famous, and everybody was going <laughs> to love me. You know, that's what I'm thinking. After you got your degree, was that at the age when you decided to live as female? Yes. I had to go home and talk to my mother about it. And my mother said, well, you do what you want to. You've grown and you will be out there, but you're going to run into a lot of trouble. And I hope that nothing ever happens to you. So I got my degree and I worked at uh, Billings Hospital, which is the University of Chicago. And I worked in the nursing department there, and uh, I had a great time. I haven't had the complete operation, but I told my boss, I said, well, you know, I'm getting ready to have the operation, and I wonder if I come back to work, you will keep me. and." He told me, he said, yes. To have reassignment surgery is a very involved and expensive undertaking. How did that play into your life to be able to do that? Okay. During that time back in like the 60s, early they didn't, they call it the green card. And the green card was a medical card. And um, they weren't doing the reassessment surgery, especially on black boys or girls. So I had a friend that had it, and she told me what I had to do and who to go to, and I did it. And uh, I wish I hadn't done it because um, back then they weren't that, um, how would I put it? They weren't that knowledgeable about things. And these were doctors 
And when I had the surgery, it was, um, I didn't have to pay for it. Uh, the medical coverage took care of that for me. And after that, they stopped it because, you know, they were doing it under the table to right, certain people. Right, right. And I was one of them that, you know, got through the peephole and got in there and it was done and I was happy about it. And you were how old? I was 20. I kept it a secret. Nobody knew because of my girlfriend, Miss Edna, which was a trans girl that had the operation. Uh, she helped me through it. And uh, I didn't you know, enjoy it the way I thought I was because the technology wasn't that advanced like it is today. This must have been very painful. It was. It was painful and I was scared and uh, I regretted it for a while, but after it, I got over it. So now... You could kind of soldier on as who you wanted to be. Yes. And uh, I did. I met another guy. Uh, and um, he was really a nice guy. And he understood what I was going through. And I stayed with him from, oh, I, I, I think I did. 10 years of relationship with him, uh, living with him as his woman, but not his wife, because none of that was happening then. So I couldn't call myself Mrs., you know, whoever. I don't want to say his last name. But uh, he worked, I worked, and uh, life was looking pretty decent for me, you know, because I ended up buying a house and because I worked as a nurse and then I worked as a barmaid. Oh, wow. And <laughs> uh, Yeah, so I, the, the money was coming in. He worked, too. And uh, we had the cutest house out of a fairy tale book. I called it because it was a picket fence, white picket fence. I had the dog. I had the little cottage. And I had my boyfriend. And everything to me was beginning to feel right. And then all of a sudden, it changed because my boyfriend, Kenneth was his name for 10 years. He became hooked on drugs. And I didn't know. I didn't know about drugs. And uh, I knew he was acting different and, you know, strange because he started fighting me. and. Uh, about five years, I stayed in that relationship with him because this is the man I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. But 
it didn't work out that way. So um, I found out about the drugs, and I told him that I can't stay with you. You're stealing from me when I come home. My washing machine was gone and all that stuff, and I had bought a car, and he took the car and went somewhere and got into a wreck. Oh, dear. And um, I had to pay for it and everything. And then all of a sudden, all these women knocking on my door, looking for him. And I'm wondering, well, what in hell is going on, you know? Right. And I told him we, we would have issues where we would run into each other physically. And he was really hurting me, you know, so, but. I thought, well, you know, this is what a woman does. She stays with a man no matter what, thinking that he's going to change, and he didn't. And being a trans woman, it was even worse because these women were coming to my house and they knew what I was and they didn't care because they thought they could, you know, take him. and. They didn't have to take him because I was I was ready to give him up because I got You're to right, throw him out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. So I went through that with him. And uh, I'm going to say something. It might sound bad, but I, I've got to let it be known. Trans women, we go through a lot. And trans women, we have to be smart enough to think for ourselves, to find out if we get a man and this man, basically, he's using us. And that's what I was being used uh, sexually, not financial, because this man was giving me his money. But sexually, he was abusing me. And I went through that with him for that many years. and. my attitude became, I had low self-esteem about myself because I'm thinking, why do I have to go through this to be with a man, to please a man, when I should be trying to please myself? But exactly. I wasn't thinking that way. Exactly. So I talked with my mother and grandmother and my aunt, and they told me, they said, sweetie, have you ever looked in the mirror? at yourself. I said, no, I haven't. I really don't look in the mirror at myself. I look to put my makeup on and that's it. And my mother and grandmother and aunt, they told me, they say, go to the mirror and look at yourself. And I did that. And I saw someone that was beautiful, you know, I I had a a million dollar smile and dimples and I said to myself, I like who I am. I like looking at this person and that person was me. And um, I ended up leaving Kenneth. I left the house 
I left everything because I couldn't cope with him no more. This man was beating me to no end. And then I remember calling the police. We lived on 86 and Wood, 86 and Wood. And I remember calling the police because he had jumped on me. And the police came and the police told me, he said, you need to get out of this relationship because he's going to end up killing you or you killing him. And uh, the man was telling me the truth. And I woke up. And I said, well, this is it. I'm gone. And then the policeman that was being so helpful to me, he ended up becoming my boyfriend. The cop? And Yes. The policeman Maybe. wound up being your boyfriend? <laughs> yes. That's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, he, he was so nice. And... Uh, he was married, and we messed around for a couple of years, and I had to let him go because you got a wife. You can't be committed to me the way I want you to be. So I left him, and uh, I moved away by myself again in another apartment, and uh, it was a knocking on my door, and it was Kenneth. And I took him back and went through the same stuff. So what I want trans girls, trans women to know that we have better options. You know, we have to be aware and alert to ourselves. We got to know ourselves. Look inside and find that true person because I don't want the younger generation out here to be out there like I was. I didn't use drugs, thank God, because my parents were so against it because I did have a family member, one of my uncles that was a drug addict, and he would come to our house and steal from us, steal my piggy banks and everything. But I loved my uncle, and my mother loved her brother. And uh, she would just say, well, you know, Uncle Albert is coming. Hide all the stuff, and that's what we did. So (laughs) I went through a lot, and um, but I always had a family member. The females would always say, well, honey, you come on here, and we'll work it out. But you know, Gloria, what I got from watching the movie also is while you might not have had role models in terms of other transgender women or organizations to be there and hold your hand. I know I'm jumping ahead, but okay, clearly you were going to give back starting a charm school. Now, I know that that happened many years later and that you had other avenues to pursue. Was that just something that you fell into or was it more like, I've got to be out there and help these young people in ways that maybe I wasn't helped? 
it was like uh, it was uh, how would I say it? Epiphany uh, that this it was there, but I didn't see it. And all of a sudden, one day, I'm sitting in the house and I'm reading these horrible stories in the um, newspapers about trans girls being murdered, trans girls out there prostituting and homeless. And I said to myself, I said, they don't have anybody to help them or to listen to my story, what I had to go through and what I did and how I overcame all that. I jumped a lot of hurdles, but I made it. And uh, one day I was sitting down and I was at the center on Halston. And a bunch of young, I'd say 16, 17-year-old trans girls, they were coming in the center and oh, they were nastily dressed. I mean, little or nothing on, and I got so angry about it, I approached them, and I told them, you can't come in here like that. Family members come in here with their children, and they see your boobs out, your butt out, and your loud is all outdoors, and you stink to high heaven. (laughs) So I talked with them, and, you know, they were so happy and pleased that I talked to them about it. Was the center on Halstead a community center that was open to gay and trans teens? Yes, yes. And uh, I would come there, and, you know, they had the uh, seniors there, too, and I would come there and be with the singers, and we would sit and look, and some of them would just gasp for air because, oh, did you see what she have on? And I didn't like that. I said, well, I'm going to have a charm school because this is what my grandmother would do. And my aunt, I wish they were here to come to the center and see this. So I took it upon myself to go to the CEO of the center and talk to them about it. And they listened, but nothing happened. And I said, well, I'm not giving up. I'm going to put my foot down and stand up for my sisters or my children. And I did that, and finally they told me, you can have your charm school, and I did. And that was the best thing in my life, because I was helping young people to adjust to a certain situation, but I always instilled in their minds, finish school, further your education, because that way, you can stand up and fight for us. And uh, some of them did finish. They went on to college, and I 
you know, I'm so proud of the ones that I do run across every now and then, and they'll call me up and tell me, Mama Glory, I am so happy that you were there for us. And um, I cried, and it made me feel so good that I was able to do something like this. Do you think you were the biggest positive influence in their lives? Somebody who had walked the walk and was there supporting them? I think so. I have gone through the things that they went through, but it was worse for me because I didn't have a group or nobody that I could go to a center and sit down and tell them my problems. That wasn't happening. We had, um, I remember uh, some good friends of mine that uh, they were social workers and executive secretaries, and uh, but they didn't dress as women. They only did that cross-dressing cross uh, on the weekends when they didn't have to go to work. But these people were so fabulous because they were much older than me, and they helped me a lot. And um, I have to give praises and thanks to these amazing people that God put in my life. And um, I'm so happy that they were there for me, as well as my parents, you know, my mother and aunt. You're getting a little emotional, huh? Yeah. Aww. And they got a chance to meet my mother and grandmother and aunt. And my mother and them, they fell in love with these cross-dressing people. And my mother told me, she said, these are your family members. So you be out there, you help them. And I did just that. Because uh, today I'm still doing it. When I find somebody homeless or having to have a good meal to eat, I fix my meals and I invite them to my home to sit down and have dinner with me. And I guess your your name shouldn't be Mama Gloria. It should be Saint <laughs> Gloria. They should be calling you Saint <laughs> Gloria. Well, you know, this is what was done for me. And uh, my grandmother would always tell me, she said, baby, when you've been blessed, you're supposed to pass it on. And that's what I, I still do today. But even with all the obstacles that you had and the violence that was inflicted upon you, it doesn't seem to me like you have a bitter bone in your body. I don't. And I get that from my Mother, grandmother, and my great aunt, I get that from them. They never had a uh, bitter bone or uh, saying bad things about people. Because I remember one day as a kid, my mother would always set the table, and she always put up a plate. And uh, we would ask her, well, what's that plate for? She said, you'll never know who's going to come by and need a good meal. Oh, wow. That's powerful. And I learned that. 
And uh, I would just laugh to no end because every day my mother would, when she wasn't working, she'd be at home cooking. My grandmother and my great aunt, and they were great cooks. And they would always have these big luncheons or breakfasts for people off the street. And I'm so happy that they did that because I learned a lot from them. You give back. Right, right. You give back. You help out. I wonder how it phased you when at first you were approached about a play about your charm school, the play called Charm. And then the next thing you know, you're the subject of a a film. I really believe it's like you have a tale to tell and there's so much that people can benefit from knowing about your life. And in that same breath, not to get too depressing about it, but I just read an article the other day, Gloria, that said at least 28 transgender women have been killed so far this year. And that statistic is according to the Transgender Equality Center. When I hear that, it hurts me to no end because um, some Trans people might disagree with me on this, but being a trans woman, and it's some some beautiful girls out here today because of the technology. But I tell them, if you're going out with a guy, you let the guy know who you are. Don't lie, because. Lying to them will get you killed or hurt. And uh, in the trans community, we don't talk about that. They don't talk about that because they thinking, oh, well, you know, I don't have to tell nobody nothing. And that's a lie. You do have to tell them, you know, because men have certain egos that they go out with a woman and then she not giving up or won't give up. He wants to know why. Right, 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 And then the girls will say, well, well, I ain't telling the mother either. I disappear and don't see them again. Or either I do it and I'm a statistic because I just been murdered. So we have to be so careful out there. And the trans girls, we need to know how to deliver ourselves to these guys. If you tell the truth, maybe you might survive or maybe you won't. It's a chance. But uh, they have so many different uh, groups out here to talk about this and talk about that, but they are not trying to talk to the trans women, young girls or boys, and have a, a table talk to save your life. They don't do that, and I wish they would. Gloria, we're coming down the home stretch, but um, okay, but there's so much more to talk about, but. 
how at 75 years old, how do you look back and assess your life? At 75, I'm so happy that I'm here still. I look back on my life as a learning experience because I learned a lot. I did a lot. And I had people there to support me, my family members, which I'm so grateful to God that he saw fit to put me in a family like this. And my family, they went through a lot, too, in helping me. Uh, But um, life at 75 for me now, it's great because I, I enjoy life. I know how to treat people. And um, you have to get out and you have to earn your buttons to put on your shirt. And it's so many girls out here, they, I just pray for them and hope that they will use their head and not their bodies. Because your body will end up getting mutilated, and we have to put a stop to that. We need to learn how to negotiate with people, because today it's still a lot of people out here that don't like us, probably never will. But all we need to do is just get out there, get an education, and fight. Fight for our rights. And live our lives. And live our lives. Right. And we deserve that because it's so many amazing trans women out here that are doing wonderful things like Janet Mock and Laverne Cox and Sir Lady Jiva, which is my around my age, a little bit older, and she's still here today. And I am so grateful and thankful that we're standing up, but we have to stand up for the right reasons. The world is a better place because of Mama Gloria, and to have gotten to know you through the film as well as through this conversation for me really has been a blessing. And I think you are one hell of a broad. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And can I say one more thing? Of course. Uh, Okay. Phil Dawkins wrote the play. B.J. Jones was a producer. And these wonderful people, I just can't, you know, God has blessed me with so many angels, including you. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so grateful to Lucina Fisher for making this match. Me too. Mama Gloria is a beautiful film because the subject is a beautiful woman. And if I'm deifying you, what the hell? Who cares? But. I, I, I really, really, really am blessed and touched that you took time out to talk about your life and 
you really set the bar high and all the words are apt, inspirational, emotional, impactful. You're really the best, Gloria Allen. I can't thank you enough for having this conversation with me. And thank you so much for sharing this, being a part of it. I am so happy. And you just don't know, you know, I just have a a smile on my face. Nobody can take away. (laughs) I'm thankful. That's the perfect way to end. Thank you, Gloria, so very much. Thank you. Okay, you're more than welcome. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.